0: Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. This talk is taken from our series Exploring Advent, a time when together we learn what it is to face darkness, see light and wait expectantly. Thanks for
1: joining us. Here we go. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for their fire. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today is the first Sunday of Advent in the church calendar. I wonder... What comes to your mind when I say the word Advent? Maybe chocolate calendars. Yeah, Ours will be going up this week. Um, maybe instead for you it's the Christmas lights. Maybe it's the Coca-Cola advert. Yeah, Holidays are coming, that one. That always feels like it heralds Christmas. Um, maybe choir practices, maybe last-minute panic shopping, maybe festive movies. Advent has become a very commercial season. A time when it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And there are bargains to buy and sentiments exchanged in cards. Uh, But actually, Advent in the Christian tradition is really quite different to this. It's not sentimental. It's not walking in a winter's wonderland, despite yesterday's little flurry. Um, It's not walking in the air, for that matter. And it's not mama kissing Santa Claus at all. Advent is not about closing your eyes to the troubles of the world and escaping into a haven of tinsel-laden optimism and therapeutic shopping. Not at all. Advent is a time of hope, but it is hope in the face of reality. Not eyes shut, but eyes open to the darkness that we find ourselves in. Fleming Rutledge explains that Advent is the season of hope in the midst of hopelessness. She continues, if there was no hopelessness, there would be no need for hope. And we definitely need hope. Of course, after Advent comes Christmas. He came down to earth from heaven. And with Christmas comes a burst of joyful singing and feasting and colour. There will be a big fat goose in the baby household this year. Thanks. (laughs) I won't save you any. Um, But Advent is not pretending that Christ has not come until December 25th. He has come. No, Advent is, as well as looking back on Christ's first coming, it is also, perhaps even primarily about, looking ahead to the time when he will come again. Not silently and covertly, but he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess, Jesus, Lord of all. And that is good news. For when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, reigns as Lord of all, there is no space for anything that destroys peace. And so the warrior's boot And the garment rolled in blood that we heard about in that reading, they're done away with altogether at the reign of Christ. For now, though, we wait in expectation. In the time between Christ's comings, between his first and his second advent, that's the space that advent occupies. And we live our daily experience in that tension, the now and the not yet, rejoicing and longing, Divine hope and human hopelessness. Advent begins in the dark. And according to Rutledge, we need a good dose of darkness in the church to counteract the falsity of the season of madness outside. So brace yourselves. But for some of us, this does come as a great relief. Because for some, the cultural pressure to be chirpy and cheerful is itself a source of distress. For some, it is not the most wonderful time of the year. For some, the long nights and the short days reflect the experience of loss and loneliness and disappointment that are all too familiar. I know that for many of you, this festive season arrives at a time of sadness and uncertainty. Advent can be a balm to you since it occupies that place of recognising present pain while clinging to divine promise. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to embrace that tension together along with thousands of churches all around the world. Today, darkness. We're going to look square in the face of our predicament. Next week, light. We will see the brightness of who Christ is as the one who was and is and is to come. And then in two weeks' time, shine. We will think a bit about the glimmers of light that can break in even now in our lives as signposts of what's to come and as resistance to the darkness. So that's where we're going, okay? And Advent begins in the dark. A little while ago, Susie, our friend Susie, read... Uh, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Now, Isaiah was a prophet who lived 800 years before Christ. And Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation, God is salvation. And that pretty much embodies the message of that prophet. At the time of Isaiah's ministry, God's people were surrounded by darkness. They had split in two, the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And Israel was under siege from the Assyrians, and the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. The prophet Jonah had announced judgment on Nineveh just a few decades before, which, of course, led to God's mercy. And we've been in that story for the last two months, the book of Jonah. And actually, Jonah had similarly brought a word of God's grace to Israel just earlier on in his career, despite the disobedience and the sin of the Israelites. You can read about that in 2 Kings. So Jonah, like it or not, was a prophet of the grace of God. And yet less than a century after Jonah's time, both Israel and Assyria are again caught up in darkness and discord. There's darkness surrounding God's people. But there's also darkness within. Hypocrisy, injustice, mistreatment of the vulnerable. They were all rife in Israel and in Judah at the time of Isaiah's ministry. The king of Judah was Ahaz. And Ahaz was a bad king. He, he wanted to be like the impressive Assyrians. And so he saw the altar that they had in Assyria and he created a replica altar in the Jewish temple and took their God to be his God, even sacrificing his own son in a burnt offering. It, it, it doesn't really bear imagining, does it? It sends a shiver down my spine. A dark time in history. And it would have been easy to wonder, where is God? Where is he? Why doesn't he do something? Have his promises come to nothing? Everything's such a mess. Isaiah will go on to say, truly you are a God who hides thyself. Maybe you resonate with that. The hiddenness of God. Blaise Pascal said that A religion that does not acknowledge the hiddenness of God is not true. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on then, light has shone. It was dark in Isaiah's day, and yet God speaks into that darkness, through the prophet, a word of promise, divine light, will break in. A time of rejoicing will come. The rod of the oppressor will be broken. It will be like the great victories of old, as when God delivered his people from the Midianites in the time of Gideon. You can read about that in Judges 6 to 8. Back then, they were helpless and hopeless. Back then, God made a way where there was no way, just as he did in the Exodus at the shores of the Red Sea where God split open the seas and made a way where there was no way. He'll do it again, Isaiah says. His light will dispel the oppressive darkness both within and without. He will act. He will not abandon. He will judge. He will deliver. He will put things to rights. In the midst of hopelessness, hope. But notice how Isaiah speaks of it as if it had already happened, as if it was already there. So true is God to his word. His past faithfulness guarantees his future faithfulness, even though their present experience was the tension of living in a land of deep darkness. It's as good as done, though. Even in his seeming absence, God is present. Fast forward 800 years, and Isaiah's words resound loudly because it was a land of deep darkness into which Jesus was born, the promised light. The poor and the vulnerable were again being mistreated and oppressed by religious leaders who did not represent God. And there was another ruthless political regime in charge, the Romans, brutal in their control of the people. The rod of the oppressor certainly did not look like it had been broken. Much fear, much distress, disease, economic uncertainty, little hope. But into that context, light, the word of God comes again, this time in flesh. The promise that came through Isaiah arriving in Bethlehem, light entering the darkness. Unto us, a child is born. To us, A son is given. But how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. He comes to rescue us from within our own human condition, the word made flesh. Fast forward 2,000 years, what about our time? Well, the word of the prophet is just as relevant to us today because it is the eternal word of the living God. And these are, in many ways, dark times. Perhaps you wonder, where is God? The Oxford English Dictionary produces a word of the year annually. And it's a word that, I quote, reflects the ethos, mood, or preoccupations of that particular year, and is a word thought to have lasting potential as a word of cultural significance. And in the year 2021, the word of the year is "vax." Vax. The pandemic continues to dominate. The world is still held in fear of an unseen power, a new variant being announced even in the last few days. And while anti-vaxxers peddle misinformation, pro-vaxxers pin hope that a vax will make everything better, but the situation is complicated and people are anxious. On Thursday, the front page of the newspapers were dominated with the story of 27 migrants who drowned trying to cross the British Channel in search of life and freedom. 27 men, women, and children crossing in hope, drowning in hopelessness, while the world watched on and Black Friday deals were advertised. And meanwhile, our senior politician spends 20 minutes talking about Pepper Pig. And a few weeks ago, one politician who was out trying to make a difference for constituents was murdered in a church in cold blood. There is deep darkness in our time. No one talks about Afghanistan anymore. But it is hard to forget the scenes of terror from a few months ago as desperate people fell from departing planes which they could no longer cling on to. They were so afraid of what was coming that holding on to the wheels of a plane felt like a better option than staying at home. But that was two months ago and it's easy to bury our head in Netflix. How can I be so complacent? Closer to home, many of us struggle with circumstances or behaviours or thought patterns from which there seems no escape. I have been struggling in such a way over recent days. Anxious thoughts spinning round and round and round like a, like a ball in one of those tunnel, funnels that goes faster and faster and faster. You just want it to drop. Sometimes it just doesn't seem to drop. All is not as it should be. In Galatians 1, verse 4, Paul talks to us about living in a present evil age. And we can sense the oppressive darkness around us, and we see it in our news bulletins. But we find we too are caught up in systems and struggles and sin that makes us somehow complicit. It's not us and them. The church is not superior and exempt. Troubling stories and podcasts this year make that very clear. We need forgiveness, both for things done and for things left undone, as the Book of Common Prayer puts it. Isaiah came to realize his complicity with the evil of the people that he belonged to. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read of his encounter with the Lord of Glory. And actually, in John's Gospel, the Lord of glory that Isaiah saw is identified with Jesus. As Isaiah sees the Lord of glory high and lifted up, he exclaims, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah sees that darkness is not just outside, it is also within. We're all implicated. We cannot cleanse or enlighten ourselves. We, like Isaiah, need the action of God on our behalf. But God did act for Isaiah. He took the prophet's guilt away and atoned for his sin. You can read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. God cleansed Isaiah and commissioned him to speak on his behalf. But here's the astonishing thing. Isaiah became aware of his sin even as God was already taking it away. So what came first? Confession or grace? Grace came first and drove the whole thing. Like Isaiah, the awareness of our sin comes simultaneously with the promise of the Lord to act graciously on our behalf. Even as we know ourselves to be tangled in powers too big for us, we can know that there is a higher power, a greater authority who speaks a word of deliverance. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Hope comes from outside of ourselves. Alec Mottio explains that in Isaiah's prophecy... All the activity is on God's side. He is the God of the Exodus. He is the God of Gideon. He is the God who makes a way where there is no way. He is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come just as was promised, who will come again just as he promises to put the world to rights. And so Fleming Rutledge says, Religion is not the answer to our problem. Religion is essentially man-made. It is projected out of our wishes, our longings, our spiritual capacities. Advent reminds us human incapacity is the condition in which we find ourselves, our inability to gain any lasting victory of light over darkness. So what hope is there? She continues... The light that shines in the darkness is not the light of religion, not even the light of religious faith. It is the uncreated light, not part of this darkened sphere at all, not bound by it, not contiguous with it, not limited by it, but not even projected from it, not coexistent with it, but rather God from God, light from light, very God of very God, begotten, not created. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. At the beginning of John's Gospel, we read, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Adrian shared that this morning. At Jesus' birth, there was great darkness, the plot of Herod to kill all newborn boys. But the darkness could not overcome the uncreated light. Throughout Jesus' ministry, darkness was constantly encountered. Demonic forces and oppressive belief systems binding people. But the darkness could not overcome the uncreated light and the captives were set free. At the cross of Christ darkness gathered as never before. All the powers of evil and all the destructive forces of human sin was laid on him. And darkness had its hour. Even the noonday sun was covered by darkness as Jesus was hung on the cross. But the darkness could not overcome the uncreated light. As a word came forth from the darkness of the cross and Jesus declared, it is finished. And with those words, he sealed the fate of all dark and destructive forces that would hold us captive. Darkness will be destroyed by the uncreated light of Christ and those held captive shall be liberated So that even for those migrants, this is not the end of their story. When Jesus breathed his last, Matthew tells us that the ground shook, the rocks split, the tombs were opened, and many dead were raised as light broke forth even on that darkest day. And in his own tomb, Jesus was laid in darkness. Had the word come to nothing? Was the cold tomb able to extinguish hope? Where is God? Will he be hidden forever? But on the third day, light bursts forth from the tomb in resurrection life as the conquering son of the living God steps forward proclaiming peace. Light and life to all he brings, risen, with healing in his wings. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He has come. He will come again. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So, in whatever darkness you currently find yourself, you have an unshakable hope. Maybe this is the first time you've even heard that. More than anything else, Christianity is news. You have an unshakable hope. You can rejoice and even laugh today in the certainty of the victory of the uncreated light over all the darkness, without and within. Christ the Lord. So today, come to him again. And look to him. Look and live. He is the light of the world, shining on you. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to sing a song of the hope that we have in Christ. And as they come, why don't we stand and I'm going to pray for us that in the midst of our engagement with the darkness, which is heavy, we might know the certainty of the victory of the light of the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we find we are in such a mess in this world, and yet we thank you that you have come into the world as God with us, Emmanuel, and that you came and took on yourself the very extremity of our human condition in order to recreate us, that we might be born again, that there might be a living and indestructible hope. Jesus, you are the risen one. You are the risen one. You have defeated sin and evil. And although at the moment we live in the tension of the times between the comings of Christ, thank you, you will come again in glory. And you will put the world to rights. And the world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. And there will be peace without end and joy without ceasing. And there will be a vision of God as never before, as all eyes are set upon you. And to see you, Jesus, is to be transformed. For you are the hope of the world. Come and fill our gaze this morning, I pray that we might go out and shine the derivative light that comes from knowing Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen.